The first reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation, for those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The second reading is from Isaiah chapter 44, verses 9 to 20. All who make idols are nothing, and things they treasure are worthless. Those of you who speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit Nothing. People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line. He makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it into a human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine he cuts down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or an oak. He lets it grow amongst the trees of the forest, or planted a pine and let the rain make it grow. He uses it, he uses it as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes to warm himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat, he eats his fill, he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest of it he makes a god, his idol, and bows down to worship it. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. Their minds are closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood. Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. 
he cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please do sit down. Very good morning to you again. Welcome if you're here for the first time. You've joined us in week two of a series on the Ten Commandments. We normally work through uh, longer passages of the Bible than we are uh, doing uh, in these weeks, just looking at one commandment at a time. But then, as we heard with that, that, that extraordinary second reading, uh, also uh, looking to see how the rest of the Bible also picks up on these commandments. Uh, so slightly different from our normal way of, of doing things, but follow with me and you'll see. Uh, you'll need the back of the notice sheet to see the outline. Uh, for various reasons, we haven't got anything on the screen this time, so you definitely need the outline on um, the, uh, on, on the back of the notice sheet. It is a coincidence that there will be no images on the screen, I assure you. It's not a sudden di uh, different interpretation of, of, of things, but I will, we'll be looking at questions like that as we look at the um, commandment about images here. So let's pray, first of all. Father, we do thank you that you've not left us to wonder what you are like or make that up for ourselves, but you have made yourself known. You've made the first move. You've come to us definitively in Jesus Christ, but you have spoken through your prophets to and with these words in front of us now, we pray that you would help us to see who you are more clearly. We'd understand ourselves and our lives now and make sense of living in this world today. And we would be driven to trust in Jesus and live for him in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to talk about something this morning that is a little bit odd in our world today. David already introduced the idea of, uh, in the children's talk, of idolatry, idols. But it is a bit odd. We, we, uh, last week we, we started to think about how the Ten Commandments as a whole are kind of taken for granted in our world today, um, at least in Western culture, um, or, or at least many of them are. So there, you know, there's still a sense of you know, t what, what it is to take God's name in vain. I mean, people kind of know what a swear word is, even if it's not considered very serious. Uh, the stealing, murder, adultery, lying, envy, jealousy. I mean, people might differ in how, again, how serious these things are, but there is, we have the categories for them. We understand those things in our culture today. We can have a discussion about them. But it isn't like that. If you think about it, it's not like that with idolatry. We don't really talk about that in, in our wider world. Uh, because in our wider culture, it, it, it wouldn't really make sense to talk about the true God and false gods. The, the categories now for our culture, if you think about it, are, are basically faith and facts. Oh, 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 you're a Christian, are you? Oh, well, that's interesting. Oh, that, that goes in the people of faith category. 
you know, along with Muslims and Hindus and Jehovah's Witnesses and Jedis, if you want. I mean, you can all, you all basically go in that category of faith. And it's a kind of private category, let's be clear. And we'll leave you to do your own kind of private things over there with kind of religious people. And that's fine. As long as it stays private, as long as it's your own thing and your own sort of faith stuff going on over there, it's fine. Not going to hurt anyone. We're all, we're all cool with that. But, you know, don't try and bring any of that faith stuff into the public square or politics or the workplace or whatever it is. Because out here in the public space, we're all about facts, not faith. So do you see what happens? See, the category of what is true has been claimed by the secular world. Let's stick to science. Let's stick to evidence. And everything else goes in the category of faith, where questions about truth are kind of not the point over in the category of faith. You don't worry about what's true over there. You just believe whatever you want. That's fine, because it's in the, the private faith category, so we don't have to worry about it. Well, the second commandment, and the God who rescued his people out of Egypt and later sent Jesus to die on the cross, they blow all of that out of the water. Because if there really is a God, who as we've been talking about in, the, in these last few minutes, is a God who's made himself known, first through the prophets like Moses, later definitively in Christ, well, you can't consign all discussion of him just to some kind of private faith category where questions of truth and fact are irrelevant. Now, it really matters if you are worshipping the true God, because he's made himself known. You can know him, so it matters if you are worshipping him. And that is where the category of idolatry comes in. Now, in the first commandment last time, if you were here, we heard about the idea of other gods. No other gods but me, God says. And so as we come to the second commandment, a, a kind of immediate question is, well, what, what, is, what is different here? What is being said that has not already been said in the first commandment? Well, let's think about this. In the second commandment, what's going on is God is focusing in not just on who we worship, but on how we worship. Not just worshipping the right God, but worshipping the right God the right way. Now, this is really important because um, it, it affects how we read this commandment. It's easy to read commandment number two as if it is just saying, don't have other gods in, 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 a, in different language. But there's more going on. Let me give you a picture just to, to try and help us, to, that will help to frame what we're going to see as we go through this. A verbal picture. Okay. So that the first commandment last week has an analogy in marriage. We saw this last time. Don't worship other gods is, is like saying, be faithful to your husband or wife. Don't go off with someone else. But now, that kind of idea, that kind of image, analogy, gets developed. In the, so in the analogy of marriage, okay, how do you show love to your husband or wife? Well, one way is by not going off with someone else and staying faithful to them. But that is part of not worshipping idols. It's part of it. But there is more to say. Suppose you want to show love to your husband or wife, and you decide to make a cake. They'll be delighted with a cake, you think. And so you spend hours in the kitchen crafting a beautiful carrot and walnut cake. 
Now, that, that might sound like a really loving thing to do. But what if your husband or wife actually has a nut allergy? And, and actually, what if you know that they have a nut allergy, but you're still making a carrot and walnut cake? At that point, is that a loving thing to do? Well, it's not love at all, is it, at that point? And what's going on here in the second commandment is that these two things are being addressed at once. One is the worship of idols full stop, worshipping something as if it was God when it isn't God. Can you see in verse 4 an image of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below? Take something that isn't God, in other words. In verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. That is one thing that is absolutely in view. But there is more. We know from what happens later with God's people that the issue with idols is not just that they worship a false god, but, and this is the key thing to understand here, they try to worship the true God using idols. And actually, when, um, through the rest of the, the, the Old Testament, when God's people are criticised for using idols, it is often not because actually they're just worshipping another god, although they, they do do that as well, but sometimes it's because they, they're kind of trying to worship the true God, but using some kind of graven image. And so if you know the story of the golden calf, we'll see it when we get, when we eventually we'll, we'll come to chapter 32 in Exodus um, sometime. And, and in chapter 32, what's happened is they get bored of waiting for Moses to come down the mountain. And so Aaron says, well, tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. But just, let's get on, guys. Let's get on with something. Let's plan something. Let's do something. Let's have a festival to Yahweh, to the Lord tomorrow. And they say, right, we're going to make a golden calf. And they make this golden calf and they say, here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. And so Aaron, can you see what Aaron is doing there with his golden calf? He's not saying, here is another god. He's saying, here is the god, the one that you've been hearing about. Here is him, but here's a golden calf to help you worship him. And God says very clearly at that point, that is idolatry. Because it's not worshipping me as I've asked to be worshipped. And so, going back to the cake, it is like bringing a walnut cake to someone with a nut allergy. See, because we tend to think, well, God should just be happy with any worship. Should He's lucky to get anything. But that isn't how it is. He's told us what he's like, and he's told us how we are to worship him. That is all part of him making himself known. Okay, so this is, that's a really key thing. If we, if we don't see that, we will miss what the second commandment is really getting at. Both things at once. Don't worship the wrong God, but also don't worship the right God the wrong way. Okay, well, uh, having established that that's what's in view, now we need to see why. What is wrong with worshipping the wrong God, what is what wrong with worshipping the right God the wrong way? Well, there are three things to see and then a final note of hope. So we're on the back of the handout. Do keep the Bible open as well. It's page 77. If, if you haven't got it in front of you, it's really helpful to see the verses. Page 77, back of the handout. First of all, worshipping idols is ignoring the God who saved us. Worshipping idols is ignoring the God who saved us. So like we saw last week, we have to keep going back to verse 2. It's really key with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given by the God who took the initiative, the God who made 
the first move. And we are like the beloved who are being shown how to return to the one who has loved us and loves us now with such a lavish love. But okay then, well why is worshipping the right God who has rescued us in that way, why is worshipping the wrong way such a problem? Well, it's, it's, that is what verses 4 and 5 are talking about. Have a look at this. So it's helpful to be clear about exactly what is being talked about here. That's the first question. Uh, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. So what is that saying? Is that saying, well, you can't make an image of anything at all anywhere? Is that why we haven't got any slides this morning? No, it isn't. But that, well, Islam, for example, that, that is how Islam has taken that, or much of Islam. I know Islam is a broad thing, but much of Islam, that's why you get abstract patterns in Islamic art and, and, and images of the prophet, as we well know in, in the contemporary world, are, are banned. And it's, it's an understanding of this commandment, you know, which has been t- transferred into the Quran. But, actually in the Bible, it is quite clear that images of created things are completely fine and normal. And they're acceptable in places like the temple. So it's not, it's not an image itself that is the problem. Verse 5, it is bowing down to them and worshipping them. So, think about it. That is why in the Reformation, 500 years ago, as the church uh, heard the Bible in, in the language of the people and began to kind of see things that hadn't been seen so clearly before for a, for a while, uh, Protestant churches removed the statues and the icons and the images from church buildings because people were bowing down to them and worshipping them and saying, no, actually, the Bible tells us not to do that and not to worship the right God the wrong way with those kinds of images. That's why we don't use those kinds of things. But why is that, though? Why would God say that? Well, the issue seems to be simply... But that is not how God made himself known. He didn't make himself known to Moses in a visible way. He spoke. He spoke. So it's not that he could never be represented by an image. And this this is where, I mean, all kinds of things go on here. Human beings are the image of God. We were told that in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus Christ is the image of God. But God made himself known here in a way that was about listening, not looking. It's not that it's impossible to represent God by an image. No, God has ways of giving us images so that we know what he's like. Human beings are meant to reflect God to the world. Jesus Christ does represent God because he is God. So he is, and he's called the image of God in his, as, as a perfect human being who is also God. But here, God has made, made himself known in a way that was about listening, not looking. So this is like the nut allergy thing. He's loved us, he's made the first move, he's shown us what it's like. It's not loving to love him back in a way that goes against the way that he's made himself known. That would be to ignore him, our first heading, not to listen to him. And think about it, throughout the Bible and in our own lives today, we know human beings always want to go DIY with God. We always want to do it ourselves, to prove our worth by building a ladder 
that will take us up to God. And worshipping the right God the wrong way is part of that DIY mentality. So this isn't about banning all possible images of God, but about saying, no, the way we worship him in church and in our lives is to be done his way, not ours. So there are questions that, that people sometimes ask, having read this and, and, and want to think about. You know, is it okay for uh, Christians to have pictures of Jesus? What about you know, in a children's Bible or in other places? Is a picture of Jesus like Muslims would say about the prophet Muhammad? Is that just completely wrong in all places at all times? Well, the distinction, as you, as you can hopefully see, is about worship. So is it, is it something that you're using for worship or is it something else? You see, it would be odd... If you think about, well, we, we, do, we do make images of everything else. So if we're making a children's Bible and we put in pictures of everything else that happened, you know, all the disciples are there, but Jesus doesn't feature in any of the pictures, well, what does that say about Jesus' humanity? You know, it starts to make you think, well, he, was, he kind of wasn't a proper human being then because you can't draw him. You can draw other human beings. So do you see there's a distinction to make there, and it's quite a subtle one, but it's about worship and um, or, or, or other things. Because God is a God who has spoken and who speaks. So our primary task now is not to look, but to listen. And just as an example of this, think about this. You know the end of John's Gospel? When Thomas, really sort of famous thing, you know, doubting Thomas, he comes and he, he doubts and he says, he won't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead unless Jesus appears in front of him. And then Jesus does that, and that's wonderful, which leaves the reader thinking, well, what about me? What, you know, why can't Jesus appear to me? I mean, Thomas doubted, and then he was allowed to touch Jesus' side, and so he had the kind of full picture, and then he put his faith in him, and he bowed down and worshipped him. But then Jesus says this. He says, because you have seen, to Thomas, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And we think, okay, well... How does that work? Well, then John adds his own comment for his readers. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what's John's point there? His point is that Thomas did not have what we have now. See, we have John's account of Jesus's life and that account is part of how God has spoken to us and so now today in London in the 21st century we don't need to see Jesus like they saw him in the first century because we have Jesus's accounts of what he did in his life and death and resurrection and so faith in him is primarily about listening to the God who has spoken See, particularly in our age today, with so much visual media in, in so many different ways, social media, you know, movies and, and all the rest of it, it's tempting to think, you know, no, but it doesn't really work anymore, that. You know, what people need is visual experience. And, you know, just merely preaching or merely kind of telling my friend the gospel just telling them uh, there, there is a God and Jesus died for you and that makes a massive difference. You're just words. I mean, what, you know, what good are words? We need visual stuff. It's tempting to think that in the 21st century. But this is here to remind us, to give us confidence. No, God is a God who speaks primarily. 
That is how he's made himself known. And so we can have confidence as we share the gospel with our world today, with confidence in the power of God's word in, in just ordinary preaching to change lives. You know, there is a place for things that have been made. There's, a, there's the Jesus movie, there's the series Chosen. You know, lots of people have enjoyed and found helpful. Um, but that, that those things aren't the way that, G, that God has chosen to make himself known. They're helpful in their place. But we need to make sure we don't lose our confidence in the power of God to speak and to then to respond to him. And the second commandment is speaking into that. Okay. That's the first thing we've seen. That was heading number one. Here's heading number two. And Sue, who was, my wife, is sitting there looking at the headings on the sheet. She looks at heading number two. She said, that's a, it's a bit blunt, isn't it? Worshipping idols is stupid. But this is Isaiah 44. And uh, the, 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 it's deliberately uh, blunt. I know, I know I'm English, but I do occasionally use blunt words. And that is because of Isaiah 44. It's an attempt to do justice to the tone of what we heard. So if you turn to page 731, this is just spelling out a bit more about idols. As I said, the, the rest of the Bible has lots to say about this. Here's one particular passage. So did you hear it? Page 731. All who make idols are nothing. The things they treasure are worthless. And then there's this story about the guy who cuts down a tree... And he takes half the wood and he makes an idol and bows down to it. And he takes the other half and lights a fire and cooks his dinner on it. And the point here, if you didn't get it, the Bible sometimes is, is deliberately trying to make us laugh. Okay? And it's, it's okay, we're allowed to do that. That's the point. It's deliberately kind of saying, look how crazy this is to do this. You think you, think you cooked your dinner on that piece of wood and you now think you're, that's going to save you as you bow down and worship it. No one stops to think, he says. What a ridiculous thing to do. So um, Tim Keller, who was an American preacher, died recently. It was really excellent at pinpointing what the 21st century equivalent of this kind of thing is. Because it, it's easy to laugh along with the prophet Isaiah today and think, yeah, you know, worshipping a block of wood, that's really stupid. Well, here is Tim Keller quote from him translating that into 21st century culture he says this he says remember this if you don't live for Jesus you will live for something else if you live for career and you don't do well it may punish you all of your life and you will feel like a failure if you live for your children and they don't turn out all right. You could be absolutely in torment because you feel worthless as a person. If Jesus is your centre and Lord, and you fail him, he will forgive you. And get this, he says, your career can't die for your sins. Whatever you base your life on, he says, you have to live up to that that is the thing. You're basing your life on that thing. You have to live up to it or else. But Jesus is the one Lord you can live for, who died for you, who breathed his last breath for you. Does that sound oppressive? He asks. So do you hear what Keller is saying? It's like the guy with the block of wood. It's the same thought. What are you doing? Worshipping your career, your wealth, your good reputation, whatever it is. And we saw you know, the things we saw on the screen before what David showed us. 
What are you doing worshipping those? They're not going to love you. They're not going to be there when life falls apart. They're not going to get you through death. They're not going to help you when you stand before God. Ridiculous to worship them, do you see? It's the stupidity of it that the Bible is getting at and that God through Isaiah is getting at here. And yet we get totally sucked in. Did you hear at the end of the reading, Isaiah says this about the person eating a meal off the same wood that he made an idol out of. He says, such a person feeds on ashes. See, that is the thing about worshipping idols. This is the thing that we, we don't, we, if we're honest, we often don't really believe. See, it would, be, it would be one thing if you were comparing life with God in eternity that we were made for with something else that's kind of substantial and worth having. As if the choice is eternal life with God on the one hand or, you know, eternal riches and pleasure of your own making on the other hand. And, and if we're honest, we often kind of think that is the choice. But that isn't the choice. That's the point, isn't it? That is not the choice. See, the choice actually is this. On the one hand, being loved by the God who made the first move, who sent Jesus to die for you, who loves you now and into eternity. That, that's, that's one thing you can choose. You're being offered that. That's amazing. You're being offered that. But on the other hand, the other bit, the other thing that we kind of weigh up is kind of transitory pleasure that might last a few years, if that, that might never be attained at all, actually, and that definitely won't last through death, whatever happens. Do you see, that is the choice when, we've, when, we've, when we're tempted to worship idols. And that means when we worship idols, we are feeding on ashes. What a ridiculous thing to do. We don't even get a meal. There's a, there's a Twitter account, which I like following. You might have seen it. It's called, it's great, it's called No Context Brits. You seen this? Um, and all it does is it just highlights things in the world that are kind of quintessentially British and kind of, kind of get kind of English people doing random stupid things, you know, distinctively sort of eccentric and odd and all the things that go with being English and British. So um, here, just here is a tweet that they found. I had to, I had to highlight it. I had to, I had to um, uh, edit it slightly to keep it clean. But here it is. It, it's, about, it's a tweet about why you should always stick with your regular Chinese takeaway and never risk trying a new one. Okay, Chinese takeaway is, of course, a key part of, of British culture. Uh, and, and the tweet says this. Trying a new Chinese takeaway and it being horrible is worse than heartbreak. Not only have you betrayed your normal Chinese, but you've got a horrible dinner. And that is the kind of sentiment here, do you see? God pleads with his people over and over again in the Bible. And Isaiah 44 is just one example. Worshipping idols is not just a betrayal of the God who made you, and it is that, and it's really serious, but it's stupid. You end up with a terrible dinner. But that sense of betrayal, finally, is where God lands back in Exodus 20 and verse 5. So go back to that. Thirdly, then, worshipping idols leads to judgment. Worshipping idols leads to judgment. I'm a jealous God, he says. Betrayal 
worshipping other gods or worshipping the right God in the wrong way, both a betrayal of what I've done for you in saving you. And if you betray me like that, the result is judgment. And in the 21st century, what he says is a bit shocking, isn't it? He says, um, uh, he, he says he's punishing the, 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 the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, what does he mean? The point is, if you turn your back on God, it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect those around you, your family, those closest to you. If you look at what he says, it's not that those second to fourth generations would love to worship God properly if they could, but he's not letting them. No, they hate him too. That's what it says, isn't it? Because children copy parents. And actually, this is just a helpful reminder to, to any of us who are parents. This is how life works, for better or worse. Our children copy us. They copy our mannerisms, they copy our eccentricities, and they will watch and copy how we treat God in our lives. So if God and Jesus and church take second place in our lives to some other influence, some other idol or whatever, of whatever kind that we imply with words or just in how we live and just our actions, that actually really that thing is really the most important thing and will fit God and Jesus and church and all the rest of it kind of around the edges of that thing which we're really all about in our family. And if, if that is how the dynamic works... Don't be surprised if our children grow up thinking and acting the same. Or I say that humbly with you know, one of my children sitting right there. But we, we need to end, having said that. We need to end on verse 6. So the overall emphasis, in, even in talking about punishing the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation, the overall emphasis is to make a comparison, a contrast. Can you see this? to emphasize not the jealousy of God, actually, but the mercy of God. Showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, if children follow us in our sin, they also follow us in our faith. Now, it's not, that's not automatic. It's not a put your feet up, forget about it kind of promise. They need to make their own decision and all that kind of thing. But the best thing we can do for children and grandchildren and Godchildren, apart from bringing them to church, is to model that to them in our lives and our priorities, what the first and second commandment look like. What it looks like to say God comes first and to do that joyfully. Now, of course, we need to say, even as we say that, it's one thing to say that with life ahead of you, as it were, but it doesn't always turn out that way. And we might look back and we think, well, we know, I feel like we did the best we could. And yet our child, our children, they're just not interested. But as always in the Christian life, and we might look back as well and we might say, actually, I know that there are things I did that I wish I'd done differently. But as always in the Christian life, it is not over yet. And God is a God we can trust even with these hard things. We can trust him because he's the God of fresh starts. He's the God who makes the first move. No matter what has gone on before, no matter what we might be ashamed of or regret, no matter what idols we're aware of in our lives in the past or the present, the answer is always to come back to him and trust him afresh and know he's the God who makes the first move, who welcomes us with open arms when we come back to him. We need wisdom as we think about what this means in a world that has no category of idolatry, who thinks provided we're being true to ourselves, everything is fine. But this is a world that needs to hear that God has made himself known. We can know him, we can know what he's like, 
He invites us into relationship with him with all the benefits and boundaries that go with that. So let's keep pointing one another and the world around us to the God who calls us to worship him his way and find the only real life worth having. Let's pray now. Father, all of us will be humbled by these verses in different ways, knowing that our hearts go after idols of all kinds. And we want to do DIY, faith and religion. We don't want to listen to you in our hearts. That's what we're like as human beings. And so we thank you again that you are the God who made the first move. You are the God who rescued your people out of Egypt. You are the God who sent Jesus to die while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that gives us confidence that whatever we are aware of in our hearts or in our past, you are a God who welcomes us back and we turn back to you. We do that afresh today or even perhaps perhaps even for the first time, as we hear of that promise of mercy. Showing love to thousands, thousand generations. And so as we continue to listen to you and your word, We want to listen as your creatures, as your people who've made us and then saved us. And by your Holy Spirit, make us more and more like your son Jesus who lived in perfect relationship with you, loving you with heart, mind, soul and strength. And in him, united to him in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your promise to enable us to do the same. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.